This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Good morning. Welcome to Relevant Life Church. Welcome online. We have been two weeks out of this place, and I have missed you. Have you missed me like I missed you? Yeah, well, I got three of you that, that still like me. The rest of you, I don't care. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah, I, I just want to say we should wear a t-shirt, Ron and I. We survived. Uh, we, we have survived the COVID. Uh, so, uh, right? The Rona came and she left, and uh, we're... Two, two long weeks of, of quarantining with our amazing granddaughter, uh, and so uh, th- that, that was, uh, I'm not sure which was best, coronavirus or, uh, uh, yeah, right? Uh, uh, no, it was good. We survived. We made it through. You know, I think through all of it, you know, we, we've had a lot of people that have cared, and I thank you for your words, your messages, the, the surprise packages on our porch, um, all of those things. Uh, our whole purpose, our whole purpose, porpoise. Everybody say porpoise with me, would you? Uh, that was my concern that I'm going to even be able to make sense today. Uh, my, our whole purpose was to protect Easter. We want to gather together. Can I tell you, it was a year ago Easter that we had to do online church, and and we do not want online Easter, amen? So we, we said we're, we're, we're shutting it down and we're replaying and uh, we're going we're gonna to have, have a live Easter and we're excited about that. So we want to protect you as well as protect our Easter. And everyone says amen. amen. Uh, I can tell you this was a whole, it, we understand now what lepers felt like. Right? You know, I mean, it's like you go to the door and go, unclean, unclean, unclean. Don't, don't enter, you know. Uh, but all that process, you know, I went to the store after quarantine and I thought, I feel guilty even going to the store. Like, I, am, am I, am I going to, the alarm going to go off or something, you know. But hey, real life stories from COVID. We can tell you all of them. We survived it. You will survive it. Uh, hey, but it's done, and I'm glad, and we're thankful for that, and we're God, God has been good. Today, we step into our last sermon uh, in the Anchored series. It's been delayed for a couple weeks here, but our last sermon for the Anchored series, and it's a sermon that I kept going, do I preach it? Do I not preach it? Do we, do we, just, do we just skip it? But I felt and sensed in my spirit that it was a message that needs to be heard. It's a message that I need to preach. It's a message that I need to hear. It's a message that I need to live, but also a message that you need to hear and you need to live. Amen? And so as we step into this this morning, we're going to talk about a topic called spiritual orientation, gaining your bearings, getting your bearings. Anybody ever hear that phrase of getting your bearings, of trying to figure out where you're at, orientating yourself to where you're located? Today, as we conclude this series, we've realized, hopefully by now, that anchors are important. Everyone say, anchors are important. Online, would you type, anchors are important. Uh, Anchors are very important in our life. A foundation stabilizing is important for you and I. A statement that I want to make today is that which is not anchored intentionally in the real anchor will likely anchor into a counterfeit. I want you to get this concept this morning. If you're not anchored into the real anchor... If you're not intentionally, purposefully anchored into the anchor that you know is right and you know is true, you will most likely anchor into a counterfeit of something. You'll, look, you'll anchor into a look-alike of. 
Uh, today, when we think about this idea of, of counterfeits, what's real and what's not real, what's true and what's not true, and uh, this idea of counterfeit is something that's made in the exact imitation of something, uh, valuable or important, with the intention to deceive. Everyone say deceive. Have you ever been deceived in your life? How many can participate and say, no, I've been deceived? Someone, I, I believed a lie. How many can also say, I've deceived somebody? Come on, you can just be just as honest. We've all walked in that process of where there's been deception in us. We've played the counterfeit. We've played the counterfeit. We've bought into a counterfeit. This idea of of an exact imitation of something, a forgery of. How do you know what a, how do you not fall uh, subject to counterfeits, it's not so much is studying what a counterfeit looks like, but actually studying what the real thing looks like. Can I can tell you that today there is over $70 million in counterfeit currency floating around the United States. $70 million, think about that, of counterfeit currency. Uh, the, the number one place that puts it out is Peru. They have the best artists, and so that we, they, they, they do this artwork, and they go through all these processes. That's why our bills are constantly changing. They've created this system and systems to help prevent you from, from passing a counterfeit or discovering a counterfeit. Today, when we look at currency, there are six things, uh, and I'm not, there, there's a picture up here, but they're not going to be necessarily clear in all how I'm talking it today, but there are six things that people are told to look for when they are receiving currency. Number one is you look for the holograph. When you find the bill, hold the bill up in the light, you're going to see a holograph that matches the face on the bill. When you look, uh, there's also going to be a vertical stripe. When you hold the bill up to the light, you're going to see that there's a thin vertical stripe that has a a denomination of the bill on it. You're going to look for a color-shifting ink in the bottom corner of one of the numbers of the bill. You're going to see that it, it will shift colors when you hold your bill and flip it back and forth. You're going to look for a watermark. You're going to look for a security thread. You're going to actually, if you put it under an ultraviolet light, it's going to glow a particular color depending on the denomination of the bill. Today, there are those that may not take the time to educate themselves with currency, and we now have this really cool pen called a counterfeit pen, that they're able to see what's real and what's not real. They'll be able to write on it. So every time you give a large bill at a store, most of the time they're going to write on it to go, is this revealing a counterfeit or not? This idea of being counterfeit. It may look real, but is it real? It may look real, but is it real? Can I tell you today that in you and our li- my lives, we live a life in a culture that's filled with counterfeits. We live in this culture that's filled with falsities that, are, that we want to choose to believe that are right, and really they're not right. We are deceived. We've bought into a counterfeit. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says this, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Spiritually disoriented. We're spiritually disoriented in how we perceive things. I guarantee that probably this week you viewed things that you thought were true, that were real. In reality, they were counterfeits. On July 18, 1999, John F. Kennedy Jr. and his wife and his sister-in-law took off from the New York City area airport en route to Martha's Vineyard for a wedding. 
He left a little later than expected, taking off just as the sun was setting. Although he had logged more than 50 hours of nighttime flying, flying at night over the ocean required being able to fly with instruments only, something John F. Kennedy Jr. was not certified yet to do. And just before reaching Martha's Vineyard, the National Transportation Safety Board reported that JFK succumbed to spatial disorientation. Without a horizon and with no lights over the waters of the Atlantic, he had become disoriented. Experts write that it is a terrifying thing to read instruments that are telling you something different than your body is feeling. Your body's feeling like it's going one direction, your mind yells for you to yank on the the controls of the airplane to compensate, but the key is to look at your gauges. And they might be telling you that your plane is straight and level, even if it feels like it is careening one direction or another. Or they might be telling you that your plane is nosediving, even though it feels like it's straight and it's level. The National Transportation Service declared that at some point, JFK Jr. took his eyes off the gauges, and he began flying in the direction that he felt was true to him. But unknowingly, he was nosediving, and he flew straight into the ocean. Chances are they never knew that they, had even, they were even in trouble. It felt right until the point of impact. Church, today I want to talk about this idea of spatial disorientation, but not spatial disorientation. Actually, I want to call it spiritual disorientation. I believe that today there is a true and there is a false, and in our culture today, that is, this is not a politically correct message to preach. It's not a politically correct message to even believe some of the things that I'm going to declare today. Spiritual disorientation is similar to spatial disorientation, but it comes, it, what it is, is it's this idea of when Christ's followers, their thinking and their acting are reflected in their beliefs and attitudes that look more like the world around them. I want to challenge you today because I can tell you that I have been disoriented myself. I can tell you that it's a battle to go, no, I believe it's truth. I believe it's real. Can I tell you I'm a believer of COVID more than I've ever been a believer of COVID because I've experienced COVID, right? Can I tell you when you experience something, you know what's real and what's not real. You know how it processes out and how it doesn't process out. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25 says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, the way, it is the way of death. Hear me, church, this morning. This message is one of those that it may seem right. You go, well, Pastor Kevin, how do I know? We're going to look at how we know today. But I can tell you this, that we can make the statements and we can make the declarations and we can say what is true But it's more than just speaking the truth, it's living the truth. It's walking out those steps of truth. I believe in the church today that many have become spiritually disoriented. They've lost their bearings. They've stopped looking at the gauges. They've stopped looking at what the gauge is saying, and they begin to listen to the roar of our culture. They begin to listen to the disorientation, and they become disoriented in what they believe and how they want to walk it out. Media research pollster George Barna says this. He's one who makes a living studying believers, studying Christians. One of his latest statistics says that only 59% of Christians said that there are moral truths that are unchanging. 
That's 41% of believers that may be sitting in this room right at this moment, of people sitting online right at this moment that are hearing this message to go, no, not everything is, there's not really a moral standard. Can I tell you how scary that is? When we begin to look at our own lives, can you come back and go, no, there is a moral standard, and there is a right, and there is a wrong, but more than just the confession of a right and a wrong, do you live according to the right and to the wrong? If we truly are a Christian nation, where are the Christians? If we truly are a Christian nation, what has happened to the moral aspect of truth in our lives? The culture has infiltrated the church. As a result, the church is becoming more and more spiritually disoriented. They begin to live by personal preference rather than a gauge. Today, we want to look at three gauges in just a moment. We're going to look at three gauges that should be those things that should cause us to level out to whether we, whether we feel it or whether we don't feel it, whether we like it or whether we, do, whether we don't like it. We've got to look at the gauge. We've got to orientate ourselves with what is right and what is wrong. Today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that, as I said, is very politically incorrect, a passage of Scripture that may disturb some people online or may disturb some people even present in this room. Many people live their lives by this disoriented folk theology that comes back and says that uh, if it feels right, then I can do it. If it feels good, then I can do it. Can I tell you today that this folk theology, this false theology, theology should be the study of God. The, theo, which is Godology, which is study. Theology, we, we have recreated our own idea of what we think God should be and what his word is. The reality is when we come to this idea of theology, Jesus is making a claim that basically declares that some of you are flying wrong and he needs you to correct the way you're flying. He's not going to correct the way he's flying. He is reality. And so many times in our lives we want to go, well, no, Jesus, you need to adjust. Jesus, you're merciful. God, you're forgiving. God, you're, you're not a God that judges. And God comes back and goes, no, this is who I am. There is a right and there is a wrong. We're approaching Easter really quickly, and I'll tell you, the reason Jesus was crucified is because he came and told people that they were wrong and he was right. Can I tell you today, that's the same reason that people are being persecuted today, because there is a right and there is a wrong. It's why Christians are being persecuted in other countries, because there is a right and there is a wrong. And you come back and go, why are we not being persecuted very much in America? Because I feel that we've bought into a folk theology. We're spiritually disoriented. We accept things as truth that are not. John chapter 14, verses 3 through 10, if you want to turn there with me. Jesus is at the Last Supper, and he is just about to be betrayed, or was betrayed, and here he comes, and he is speaking to his disciples. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have not told you that I, uh, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare, prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. 
you know the way and the place of where I'm going. And Thomas comes back and says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we even know the way? Do you ever feel like that when you're on a trip sometimes? You're not the one driving. You're not the one navigating. You're kind of like going, I don't know where we're going. I don't really know how to get there. Anybody ever feel that way when you're like just as a passenger? Jesus answered, he says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you don't know him and have, and have seen him. From, excuse me, from now on, you, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we, we will be in, that will be enough for us. And Jesus said, don't, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time. Anyone has, who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it's, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. You know, I've preached this passage of Scripture I don't know how many times at how many funerals. It's a Scripture that I've often used in a, in a, in a, in, in, trying to encourage followers of Christ to, to follow the way, the truth, and the life, to end up within the mansion of Jesus. Can I tell you that that's a topic that is there, but when we begin to think of this concept of the way, the truth, and the life, can I tell you that Jesus is coming across very, very much like an egomaniac? You know, if you ever heard someone come up and go, no, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. And there's no other way. There is no possible way. What would you think in this world that's filled with confusion, with many ways to follow and many truths to believe and many misunderstandings of life to live? We've all been dubbed by a counterfeit. We've all been in, bought into a folk theology at times in our lives. Now, this is a really difficult passage to understand. It's a difficult passage to swallow. And when you look at the Greek, you have to come back and go, is there a deeper meaning to this? And the reality is, is Jesus meant what he said. He's the way, the truth, and the life. There's no falsity. There's no trying to dissect it any other way. There isn't a hidden meaning. He isn't saying that I am a way or I am a truth or I am a life. He goes, no, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. Truth is this idea, this overcoming, this spiritual disorientation. We must keep an eye on, our gazes, on the gauges, and truth is this, this idea that must be present. You know, as Jesus is speaking here, he says the way, the truth, and the life, meaning this, if there is a right way, there has to also be a wrong way. If there is a truth, there also has to be a falsity. If there is a life, there also has to be death. Can I tell you that many of us want to sit and argue? We want to step back and we want to debate. Isn't that what our culture wants to do? They want to debate it? Well, is it? No, there's one or the other. There's not a middle ground. This verse may feel exclusive to some, but in reality, it's, it's inclusive to all. Jesus is coming with an inclusivity to say, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You have to adjust, and I'm including you if you will adjust. 
We in 2021 are confronted with the strong words of John 10 and 10, John 10, where it comes in John, excuse me, John 14, where he says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one person can come to the Father except through me." So today, how do we overcome our spiritual disorientation? How do we gain our bearings? There are three gauges that we need to look at, three gauges that we need to anchor ourselves to. And number one is anchor your journey to His way. You need to anchor your journey to His way. The idea of way is a road, a path, or a thoroughfare. It has a destination at the end. There is a a place that you are going. When you set out on a trip, you plan for that trip. You get on the freeway going whichever direction you're going to go, and you have a destination in mind, and there is a path to follow. There is a way. There are a lot of how-to people solution givers today on YouTube. Anybody YouTube solution givers? Anybody go on YouTube to go, how do I do this? How many have discovered that there are a lot of different ways to do things? You know, when I was raised in my home, there was one way to do it, and that was dad's way. Dad's way was always right, even though it was not always right, but it was always right. You know what I'm talking about? YouTube has bought us into this idea that there are a lot of different ways to do things, right? A lot of different opportunities, a lot of different avenues to step into. We have these people, though, that come on and go, well, no, my way is better. Anybody say that my way is better? Have you ever tried to explain to your children to do something and they want to do it one way and you go, no, but my way is better? Even though you can get it done faster than me, my way's better. Oftentimes we look at how, what's comfortable to us. By using this phrase, Jesus, by Jesus saying, I am the way, Jesus is establishing that knowing him is not only the ultimate meaning and fulfillment of life on earth, but the only way to really know the Father in heaven. He's coming and saying, I am the only, I, I'm the declarator, I'm the declarer of destination. Destination is what I'm declaring, and it's heaven. And I'm going there, and I am the only way to get there. In our culture today, there are a lot of religions and a lot of belief systems that say that there are many paths to heaven. I want to stand very clear today in a very politically uncorrect way, but in a very theologically sound way and say there is one way to heaven and His name is Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what religion you choose to step into and believe. It doesn't matter what type of Bible you want to step into and try to configure to your lifestyle. You cannot contradict this statement. You cannot come back and go, no, Jesus didn't mean what He said. Jesus meant what He said. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus uses the exact same word for life here, the word Zoe, in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Anybody see a lot of people headed toward destruction? Anybody step into some destruction on your own? But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Can I tell you when this was a message that used to be popular, more popular, one that was preached very often, that broad is the path and narrow is the path? Can I tell you that I I believe that many of us have stepped out in the broadness of what we think our understandings might be? We want to step and go, no, God's word is truth. 
But can I ask you this question? You can make that statement, but are you living that statement? Can I tell you it's it's more than just words that you're speaking. It's a lifestyle that you're living. If you can come and say, no, I know he's the way. Are you living according to his way? Whenever you feel tempted to step into your flesh, whenever you feel tempted to do what you want to do, to, whenever you feel tempted to, to do what feels good in your life, are you pulling yourself back to his way or are you doing it your way? He is the way. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 21 says this, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. Can I tell you, church, gauge number one, realize that he is the way. That regardless of what it feels like, regardless of what surroundings or what it looks like around you, realize that your anchor has to be his way and not the world's way. Your anchor has to be in his way, not what the culture is saying and not what your feelings are declaring, not what you are perceiving. Gauge number two, anchor your reality to his truth. Anchor your reality to his truth. Webster's definition of truth is the body of real things. Facts about something. Facts about something. Can I tell you today that... that, that uh, if you look further in the definition of Webster's and you start seeing these things, they begin to reason away what truth is. When you begin to look at the definitions of the truth that are there, they're kind of, it's, I mean, it comes out really clear, the body of real things, facts about something, but then they begin to, it begins to unravel because they don't want to make a declarative statement what is truth and what is not truth. Truth is, a ga- is the gauge that's based on the real thing. It's not based upon a perception or a personal preference. Today we have two major truths in our culture. One is subjective truth and one's absolute truth. Subjective truth, you've heard me dialogue about these before, but truth based on a person's perspective, feelings, or opinion. How many times have we based our decisions on an opinion a feeling, or a perception? How many times have we made decisions in our lives that are theological decisions, that are moral decisions based upon our opinion, our perception, or our feelings? Subjective truth. Can I tell you that we're guilty of it? We're guilty of making decisions in some of those areas. Absolute truth is this, something that is true at all times and in all places. Something that is true at all times and all places. In our culture today, they would say it doesn't happen. In our culture today, they would declare there isn't an absolute truth. Absolute truth is something that is always true no matter what the circumstance. It is a fact that cannot be changed. Can I tell you today that why we can come to church on this Sunday, why we can listen online, why we can sit in our rooms and read God's word and we can worship and we can come and we can go, no, God is the, the true God and we believe he does exist. He is truth. It's a fact that does not change. The problem is, is that we live in a culture filled with counterfeits. We have an enemy of our truth. We have an enemy of truth. 
John chapter 8 says this, you belong to your father the devil and you want to, car- and, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the very beginning, not holding to, to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he, lie, when he lies, he s- speaks his native language, and he is a liar and the father of lies. Can I tell you today in our culture, we are surrounded by this father of lies, by deception, by counterfeit. There are a lot of things that want to come and go, no, everybody's doing it so I can do it. No, God is a gracious God, so he'll just forgive. Let me tell you today, God is a gracious God, but God is also a just God. There are things that Kevin has done in his life that God has forgiven, but Kevin has suffered the consequences because God is a God of just. God's forgiven me. God's given me grace. He's given me another chance, but I've suffered the consequences of sin in my life. In our culture today, the enemy of your soul wants to declare that there's not a truth, that no one will ever find out that you can do whatever you want to do. God's good. God's great. God's, God's, God's gracious. I want to tell you today that, yes, God is all those things, but he's this God of truth, and he wants us to abide by his truth. You ask anyone today what is truth, and you're going to create quite a conversation. You step onto a college campus today, if it's not a Christian college, and let me tell you, you're going to be scrutinized, you're probably going to be insulted, you're probably going to be made fun of, and not just by students, but by professors. What is truth? Can I tell you that this was a question that was asked over 2,000 years ago? As Jesus is standing before Pilate, Jesus comes and he makes this statement, he says, I've come into the world to testify to the truth, to declare what is truth, to come and say, this is truth, and Pilate's cynical response comes back and he says, what is truth? Can I tell you that 2,000 years later, we have people that are in the cynical frame of mind at this very moment going, what is truth? Is there truth? Does truth really even stand for anything? Truth is a very deeply theological statement. And the way that Theologians define truth as this, that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. Truth is the self-expression of God himself. I want you to hear this statement again. Truth, that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. Truth is the self-expression of God himself. When we step back and we go, what is truth? This is the definition that needs to pop up in our brain. This is the definition that we need to have in the front of our Bible. This is the definition that should pop up in our notes on our phones to go, no, this is truth. Because I can tell you this, the culture is going to want to redefine it. And I'll tell you this, you're going to want to redefine it. Why? Because your nature is sinful. Our nature our sinful nature wants to distort truth. Our sinful nature wants, to, wants us to walk disoriented. And the reality is today is there's no, there's no separation or discord between the written word and the spoken word from Jesus. When we step and we look at God's word today, 
We step and go, no, God's word is truth. Jesus said those things. His spoken word and his written word, they're, they're, they're truth. They're the standard of what we are to live our lives by. Truth means nothing apart from God. Truth cannot be adequately explained, recognized, understood, or defined without God at the, as the very source. You know, many times we like to step back and go, well, how do we define truth? You get into a conversation, which I've done, well, define truth for me. They have to come back to some moral absolute. They have to come back to something that is of substance. We cannot define truth without God. C.K. Chesterton, a writer, theologian, says this, what we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. This has been reversed. We are on the road to producing a race of men too mentally modest to believe in the multiplication table. Is that like not true? Can I tell you, this was written in 1874. What's, what's happened to our school system? Here we've come to come back and go, no, there's not a truth in math. Let's use a new style. Throw out the multiplication table because it really doesn't work. There's multiple ways. Gauge number three, anchor your existence to his life. Anchor your existence to his life. Life. To be alive, to live, God himself is in possession of life and sustains life. The Greek word is zoe. All life, physical and spiritual, throughout the universe comes from and is, is sustained by God himself. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, says the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground, and he was an inanimate object until he went into his lungs. God himself breathed life into mankind. What is living and existent today is based upon the living and existent God that you and I serve. Anchor your existence to his life. This idea of life is such a loaded concept, is it not? When you're 15, life looks different than it did when you were six. When you're 30, life looks different than it did when you were 15. When you're 57, life looks different than it did when you were 30. When you're 70, life's going to look different than it did on 57. Can I tell you that life continues to change how we pursue life, this deep concept of life, this Zoe that God is and that we've got to find our identity and our existence in the middle of who his life is. When I was 15, I wanted life to look a certain way, and I'm so glad that that life doesn't look that way now when I'm 57. You know what I'm talking about? We have this distorted view of life. We have this distorted view of existence, and that's why Jesus is coming back and saying, I am the life. The counterfeit, the world is going to try to tell you to do and to be and to look and to arrive. And I want to make it clear this morning, I'm a champion of purpose. 
God has a purpose for your life, but it's his purpose, not your purpose. Attach your existence to his life. Get on his path. Walk in his truth, and you'll fulfill his life. If there's life, there must be death. How many have ever lost a loved one? That separation, that loss. But you know, that's why Jesus comes and he says, you know, there's a way, there's a truth, and there is a life. There's this human life, there's a life that is existent on this planet, but more importantly, there's this life that's eternal. I was reading this week of what it would look like, the meaning of life without God. When you think you've got a problem and your life is full of doubt, remember in the scheme of things, your life just doesn't count. You're tiny in your minuscule, irrelevant, a speck. Upon the dark side of that rock, you're just a measly little fleck. So when you think you've got a problem, when your life is full of doubt, remember in the scheme of things, you're puny, little, little tiny, weeny, meager, futile, worthless, teeny, boring, foolish, pointless, minimal, wretched, gloomy, bleak, and pitiful. Life just does not count. Can I tell you? That's life without the existence of God. Why are people committing suicide? Because their life has no existence without God. Their life seems puny and weeny without purpose, without drive, because they've not connected their existence to God's life. The one who breathes life, the one who gave life, not just life here on this planet, but life eternally. C.S. Lewis makes this statement. I love it. He says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. As I experience sickness, as I experience happiness, as I experience fulfillment and success in my life, can I tell you, that there's still an emptiness that only God can fill? There's still something that I go, no, I'm 57 years old and there is a day that's going to be eternal and all of this is going to mean something so much different. That what I feel right now is not real. What I feel right now is my perceptions and my misunderstandings of what I think life should be. Matthew chapter 10 says this, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life, you'll find it. John 17, 3 says this, and this is eternal life that you know, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ you have sent. James chapter 1, verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Jesus never came and said it was going to be easy. Jesus never said it was politically correct. Jesus never said that people are going to just stand in line. He actually said, no, it's going to be a narrow path. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to be very negative. I preached this message this morning realizing I very well could get emails this week going, 
Pastor Kevin, I can't believe you said that, but I'm going to say it again. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way. If you want to see heaven, if you want to experience the Father, He is the only way to get there. And for us, how do we live our lives then? What do we do? We have to come to this place to go, God, I acknowledge that you are the way. God, I acknowledge that you are the truth. God, I acknowledge that you are the life. And in all my ways, I may feel this way. I may want to believe this. I may want to do this. But God, I'm going to align myself with your way, with your truth and your life. Pastor Kevin, that's easy. I do it every day. Do you? Do you? Seriously, do you? The truth that you know, do you live it? The truth that you know, do you make gray areas and acceptable things in your life to give yourself a pass? Thomas Akempis says this. He says, follow thou me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow, the truth which thou must believe, the life for which thou must hope. So as we apply this this morning, which way are you following? I can tell you in my life, this is a daily moment-by-moment decision. Over the last two weeks as I've been in quarantine and I've felt sick and haven't felt good, can I tell you that I, there's been attitudes of perceptions that have come in that I've had to come back and go, is this, is this the way that I should really be feeling right now? Is this the truth that I should be walking out? Am I attaching my existence to God or to this circumstance that I'm in the middle of? You say, Pastor Kevin, that seems so petty. Can I tell you? It happens every day of our lives. You're going to have a choice when you walk out of this room. Will you walk in God's way or will you walk in your way? Will you walk in God's way or will you walk in what the culture says is all right to do? When you leave this building today, you're going to be confronted with a lot of counterfeits. And you're going to have to come back and go, am I going to walk in God's truth? For he is the definer of truth. Or am I going to buy into what the culture says is truth? And probably one of the most difficult ones is which life are you going to pursue? Because in our culture, they say bigger is better. Destiny. Buy your house. Get your car. Take your vacations. Have your existence fulfilled in this world. I'm not knocking those things, but can I tell you, if that's what defines you, you've missed every purpose that God's called you to. If you're allowing your age to define your existence, you're missing out on what God has defined for you to do. If, you've, if you're allowing your ability in yourself, you're allowing your existence to be defined by not God, but you. And today, today, we need Jesus. Today, we need to anchor ourselves to the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Would you stand to your feet this morning?
Would you declare with me today, God, I, de- I acknowledge you as my way. God, I acknowledge you as my truth. God, I acknowledge you as my life. God, may the reality of these statements settle into our spirits. God, we cast down the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the worldly pursuits. God, in the name of Jesus, those things that pull at us and nag at us, God, help us to walk in accordance to you today. God, the anchor, the anchor that is sure, the anchor that holds us. God, help us to get our bearings today and to keep our bearings. Help us to look at the gauges in our lives. If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Kevin, how do I even align my life? I don't know Jesus. It's as simple as asking him into your heart. It's as simple as praying a prayer such as this. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Help me to realize the wrongness in my life. Forgive me of that wrongness. Be the Lord of my life. I make it a decision today to walk by your way, to walk by your truth, and to walk by your life. Thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God, today I pray over this body. I pray over every person, God, that is hearing this message this morning. God, I pray over human reasoning right now that would try to reason away the truth of Scripture. God, I know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers of darkness. And God, I pray over the hearing and understanding of people today. God, this message is a message that is truth. It is a message that is anchoring, a message that is foundational. And God, I pray today for every person that has heard it, God, that they would not be able to argue with it. God, that their minds would go immediately to what your word declares. God, we conform ourselves to you today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.